Welcome back to The Backdrop, Untold Stories in Golf. Joined today, very special episode, Professor, how are you? Doing well, doing well, Phil, to be, feel good doing this at home base. We are, we're, we're, it's a home game for The Professor, we're uh, the first in-person pod of 2023, and we're, we're in his abode, we're in his home. You, you eat every meal at this table? Every meal at this table, we're very intentional, no TV, no distractions, wife and I at this table for every dinner. That is aspirational. That's incredible. The uh, special guest today, we're joined. We brought him from behind the, the editing bay, behind the production studio. Our producer, longtime producer of the Bag Drop podcast, Mark Caldwell, is on the show today. Round of applause. I think I actually have media here somewhere. Where is that? Oh, no. We'll figure that out. That's, that, that's how much I listen to my producers. <laughs> I actually don't know where those things are. Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. It's, it's odd being on this side of the mic. Uh, we, we want to make you as uncomfortable as physically possible today. That's the, the goal of the show, um, to put the producer in the spotlight. The uh, co-founder of New Club, many of you who are members of New Club will know Mark. You can't be a member of New Club without knowing Mark. Uh, professor, tell, some, tell us something about Mark that you've learned that others may not know. Oh, wow. Man, that's something I've learned others may not know. The man is incredibly athletic. He, he's gifted with some good genetics. Yeah, and he hides it very well, I yeah. would say. Like, if you don't know him well, you just see him, you may, might not guess it. Maybe it's that hockey background. A lot of leg there. strength. I was going to say sure. that, and which means he can hit a three-wood freaking mile. Um, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. He's got a lot of the, 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 he's got some meat in those thighs. He really does put a lot of that into the ground. And hence the, the, uh, Pretty good ball speed that we see out of, of Mr. Caldwell. I, if I didn't play hockey, I'd probably weigh like 80 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I got one more too. Big Twitch guy. Big Twitch guy. Big Twitch yeah. guy. Yeah. yeah, not his first stream today no. on, on the backdrop <laughs> No, He's more comfortable than we are. <laughs> yeah, I bet on this. It's, it's true. In person, he, he definitely. Um, so Mark is the producer of the backdrop. And Mark, I was thinking about, you know, wow, what, what a moment for us to, to turn the, the microphone on our producer. You're a huge movie buff. Yep. I, I, I know that from many, many car rides of you, like encyclopedic knowledge of different actors and actresses. And so my question for you is, is there, is there a producer or a director that is kind of your inspiration when you dive into to that work? I, I would, yeah. My, my favorite director uh, who's around today is Quentin Tarantino. Because he Didn't see that coming. The the reason why is because I think he as a director is one of the best, if not the best, storyteller. And the scene that I always refer to when I talk about this is the opening scene in Inglorious Bastards, where Christoph Waltz is sitting at the table while the the uh, refugee like the 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 Jews the Jewish family is hiding underneath the floorboards, and everyone knows that they're there. Christoph Waltz knows that they're there, but he, he sits there and painstakingly tells a story to this family while they're trying to hide the other Jewish family. It's just, this scene is just so tense, tense yeah. and it's just so amazing. And the, what, what Quentin Tarantino can do with, with that type of, uh, uh, I don't know, script writing and acting is, is pretty incredible. So that, that, uh, what, what's your favorite, you had to pick one, maybe not your favorite, but like quintessential Tarantino, like someone's like, which one should I watch? That's quintessential. And which one would you pick? Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction for sure. What is it, what is it about Pulp? <clears throat> Same thing. It's like the just the the way that he develops every character, right? From Sam Jackson to uh, to Travolta to um, uh, Uma Thurman. Just it's just so well put together. The story itself, complete the storyline from start to finish, is just incredible. I love Inglorious Bastards. I, I but I don't think that's the starting Tarantino movie. Mm -hmm. I think it's Pulp Fiction. Um, so would Glorious be your favorite? I think Glorious is my personal favorite. Like Tarantino movie. someone comes and say, which one should I watch? You're right, going Pulp, Pulp Fiction. Fiction. Yeah, it's the OG. The OG, love that. Yeah. My my favorite fun fact because it was always stuck stuck out to me is that you grew up on an island in Detroit. Yeah. When you, we first met, you told me I, I'm from an island in Detroit. I was like, Detroit has islands? Isn't that like Canada? What does that mean? But the, believe it or not, there's quite a few islands. So in the Detroit River, the uh, the Detroit River is probably about a half a mile long. And from, you know, the Detroit River, uh, it kind of starts obviously in Detroit and goes all the way to essentially Toledo into Lake Erie. There are a whole bunch of islands between that span of, uh, of water. 
And uh, Grosil is one of them. It's a 12 mile long island, about three or four miles wide and a population of about 12,000 in three golf courses. Three golf courses for 12,000 people. Right, yeah. Do, do, do you feel pretty isolated on the island or do you feel a part of Detroit? Like what's the, the dynamics there? No, you don't feel part of Detroit. It's, 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 pure, <laughs> it's, it's not only pure suburbs, but you also, uh, the, the downriver area that's also the suburbs makes fun of Grosil as this idyllic non-reality sort of township. So in fact, at the end of the road, uh, after you drive across the bridge to get on the mainland of Michigan, there was a sign for 30 years that, you know, like those street signs that have like the two-way when you like end up at like a T and there's like a two-way, there's like a, uh, just a street sign that, that goes this way. In the middle of it, it said, it says reality. This, this way. <laughs> really? So reality is not a gross seal. It's everywhere else. <laughs> so you're the Truman Show. You <laughs> grew, up, the show. grew up on the Truman yeah, Show. The Truman Got show. it. That, that explains a lot. <laughs> uh, that's, we're we're going to talk some, some golf, but I, I think I have a good topic for the three of us to dive into today. This is kind of our... Our first, uh, what do you call it, roundtable, I guess, in-person roundtable. We had a couple of these we did over the winter with Scottish golf and different things. But uh, let's set some context around your golf. and Because and, Kevin and I have already talked a lot on the show about you know our upbringing in golf and kind of what formed our habits and our, our beliefs, if you will, I guess. But let's talk about Mark Hall's upbringing in golf. So there's three courses on, on Gross Seal. Which yeah. one was your course? Uh, mine was the, uh, there's two private courses and one nine home uni, and mine was the nine home uni. <laughs> so much like many courses, there's you know, the nine home uni was sitting for, sort of by the water. It's called Water's Edge. And uh, completely I love flat. how creative our, our golf courses get with their names. Right? <laughs> it's so, I mean, they tried, to, they tried to make it sound as good as possible, but it's just this flat golf course, nine holes. I went there five days a week. Um, played there until the sunrise or the sunset rather and did the trick of like call my mom collect and say mom come pick me up and then hang up so that's what we used to do uh, every day um, and then you through the trees you could kind of see the private uh, the main private golf course there which is called Grosseal Country Club Donald which is Ross, Donald Ross. Yeah, it's been there for over 100 years now yeah oh. and uh, yeah I don't, I've, never, I've never played it believe it or not uh, still haven't played it no how has yeah. the club not Knocked the doors. We haven't gotten there. Yeah, we haven't gotten there yet. Um, didn't you, you used, to, you used to kind of take a shortcut, didn't you, to the to Water's Edge sometimes if your mom wasn't picking you up? Wasn't it like? Yeah, you have, I mean, it w honestly, it was just a 10-minute walk to my home. So, you know, it wouldn't have been a big deal to walk home. But you you, you would cut across Gross Seal sometimes, or the country club, wouldn't you? Oh, yeah. You know, we'd, uh, you'd so uh, when we were on the country club, it was mostly just about like, um sledding and things so we you get in the country club because there, there was more hilly um but no you actually don't need to cross the uh, actual course to get to water's edge you just kind of walk down the street oh, okay i thought um, sometimes you would I, I my romantic idea was you were hopping that fence running across the private guy's little turf to, to get to your muni no no but the other the other private the other course on the, the third one is called uh west shore and that's also a private golf course but i played that because we do uh high school tryouts there. So I'd be able to play that every once in a while. So you grew up, uh, and we'll move on our topics, but I think this is good context for those that don't know, just uh, you grew up playing a lot, yep. right? And the, you were a hockey player in the winter and, and you played golf when it was nice. Yep. And then uh, talk about like where, where golf took you from there. Like what was high school like, college like, in your, in your adult, adult Yeah, life. I mean, I, golf is actually one of my first sports. My grandpa taught me how to play. I actually have a three wood in my house that's like this long. And uh, he cut it down for me when I was a kid. So I played golf almost was maybe one of my first sports and then <clears throat> played it a little bit in high school. I made the team one year, but you had to, if you didn't shoot, you know, 73 as a 14 year old, you didn't make our team. So uh, well, good team. it was a good team. Um, and then through college, I just played. Uh, that was my band day. So it was actually I have some funny pictures of long hair with me. Oh, we're getting into the band days. Yeah, okay. Oh, we're going to get to the um, band days at some point. Here. So in college, I would just play, uh, you know, some of the courses at Michigan State. There's some good golf, you know, there's golf courses around there and play around there. And then yeah, in Chicago, same thing. I was a weekend warrior for, for the most part. And just that's how I played. And I, I always tell a story about how I learned that you were a golfer and together. But I'd like to hear your version of the story from – uh, when we, when you and I worked at this, it, for those that don't know, Mark and I met at a, a technology health insurance company called Go Health, and I was on the BD side, and he was in the marketing tech uh, operations side, and 
Um, what, what was that day like for you when you realized, oh, I got a golf sicko next to me? Yeah, it was, I mean, there was, uh, uh, there was a lot of golfers that go health. So it was, yeah. it was not atypical, but I think the, the best part was the first time that we actually played is my favorite story. And we uh, invited me out to play with a couple of your buddies or someone that you did know and someone that you didn't know. And we played out at Mistwood. Mistwood, yeah. <clears throat> and this was before, uh, you know, I, I was a weekend warrior. I was never really a competitive golfer ever other than that one year of high school. So I didn't really know golf at the level that I do these days, let's just say. <laughs> and so I didn't know things like what was a handicap or what my handicap was. I never had a handicap up until that point. And that first time that we played, I never had a handicap. And so we get up there and they, you know, you, the group is talking about the a game that they want to play. And I've never played a golf game at that point because I'd never had friends that ever did it. And so they're like, yeah, let's play a game. I'm like, oh, okay. And so I didn't, had no idea what was going on. They, they just talked about some sort of game that was happening. And they said, what's your, what's your handicap? I, was like, I don't know, I'm like a 12. And so they give me the requisite strokes apparently on their scorecard. I'm not keeping score. I'm just playing. I go out there. I'm and not keeping score either. That's, keep that's the funny part, right? They took the math and they put it down. And so I go out there, you know, and if at that time, again, not knowing my handicap, if I'm playing well, I could maybe break 80. So I probably shoot a 79 or 80. Played pretty well that day. I think it was a 76. Something like that. <laughs> I think it was a 76. Sandbagger from the beginning. Yeah, right back at the beginning. And so then I get off, we get off the course, shake hands, and one of the guys that are playing competitors just walks up to me and hands me a pile of cash. I'm like, what? What is this for? He <laughs> said, congratulations. I'm like, what, what did I do? And so I silently just didn't know how to react, just took it quietly and walked away. But thought to myself, man, it, if I lost, it would have been an awkward conversation. So anyway, I never got invited back to play with that group. <laughs> yeah, you were on the blacklist, obviously. <laughs> no, I, I think... Uh... It was funny because in the middle of the round, I think it wasn't like a hyper competitive match. I mean, people were, they were paying attention. So, I so I was trying to, but I didn't have the scorecard <laughs> out in, in my pocket. And uh, I turned to Jeff Heisler on like, I don't know, 13 or 14 and, or maybe it was like 15. Yeah. That, no, it was the, the par three over the water. What is that? That's 15. And, and I said, what's the match at? And he goes, you closed this out last hole. And I was like, we beat him on 14 because Mark is getting 12 pops and went like, you know, birdie, par, birdie, birdie. You're that guy. I had no idea. You were that guy. I was that guy. Yeah. And you're like, I just want to play more golf games. Now. Yeah. No, this is great. <laughs> that, that takes me to the topic. And I'm going to come to you, Professor, on what I think this will be fun conversation for us is uh, the idea of team golf. And I, I wasn't expecting you to tell the story. So I think that's, that was an unbelievable <laughs> intro to this. But like the idea of, of team golf versus individual golf. And Professor, I want to like just kick it to you of what do you think of when I describe it? What are the first impulses when I say team golf? What does that, what does it mean to you? Or what is it? Oof. What comes to mind? Um, camaraderie, I think. Having someone, not to make a war analogy, definitely, but to use the, the phrasing of having someone in the trenches with you, right? To have one, someone there to share something with you and knowing that's like integral to it i would say that's the first thing that comes to mind mark team or team golf what, what comes to mind um <clears throat> you know uh i'm trying to think of a word specifically but uh, it's fun i would say fun mm -hmm. just because it's whenever you're playing on a team it's it's more fun it just, it just, in my mind, it is. I thought you were going to say cold, hard cash. <laughs> <laughs> clean it up ever since. Well, ever, you know, now that I have a re real handicap, the, you know, the cash is. <laughs> yeah, it's more infrequent. Yeah. Uh, you know, I like when, when I thought about it, I, high school golf comes to mind. I think for a lot of people that, that played high school golf, it's, it was like the last hurrah for team golf for a lot of people. And they just never played team golf again. Um, I think we're trying to change that, you know, stuff like Quest for the Crown that, you know, if you're listening, we're doing the largest ever virtually scored team competition on, on planet Earth. I'll just add that to the byline. I mean, it's pretty cool. Like we're, we're attempting something that's never been done. And it's the concept of your score contributes to a team. It's not just you out there. That it means something beyond just your own, your own kind of, I don't want to say selfishness, but golf is inherently very selfish, right? It's like there's a beauty to it where you got no one else to look to. It's, it's all on you. But then there's also a very like kind of sad part about it, right? Where it's like, well, it's all on you and it's all kind of selfish. Like you're just in your own head the whole time, right? I mean, isn't that kind of the, 
the idea of, of team golf is get yourself a little bit outside of yourself to kind of think about maybe the experience of somebody else or the contribution of somebody else and how you can help each other in, in, a, in a team component. Yeah. I'm trying to think like, I guess I'll speak to just a personal experience for me, not experience, but personal ethos to me in terms of my personality. Like I've always been someone that anything individual, the losses hurt more than the wins. So let's say like me and you are playing a match, Matt, and it's an individual match, me versus you. If I lose, that has a level of pain to it, right? A level of frustration or whatever. If I win, that level of like satisfaction is much, much more minor than it is the loss. Mm -hmm. um, this is why I don't gamble very much. Because like if I win $10, like losing $1 hurts more than winning $10. You and win and actually, if I win 100 I feel bad. Like I feel bad for the other person. So uh, empathy kicks in. But on the team side, I never get that feeling. Like, because it's like, well, we lose together, we win together. So if we win together, it's about celebrating together. And if we lose together, it's about commiserating together. And those are end up being equal for me. So it's not so much beating the other person that matters. It's like sharing that experience with the team that matters. And so for my ethos, like that's why I love team events because there's an equality to winning and losing where they both, one um, feels great and the other one hurts so bad that they're actually on an equal playing field for me. Mark, you said something interesting. We were in the drive down here to Georgia and you were talking about your pickup hockey league. Mm -hmm. And you're in a pickup hockey league, and yeah. I'm, I'm a big pickup basketball guy. So tell, because because I hear with Kevin your point on the satisfaction and, and exponentially probably more comes from a team win than an individual one, and, mm -hmm. and the losses are all effect. But in it, in tell, tell talk about your pickup league a little bit and how that like team element because it doesn't sound like there's much of a score in your pickup league. No, no, the the there is. A, I'm probably the only one that keeps score because I play goalie in this league and. Uh, I just keep track of who scores on me and who doesn't. So I'm, I'm one of the few that keeps stats. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it, for, for rat hockey, uh, for pickup hockey, it's, it's, it's definitely about just being with people, making friends and playing something that you like together. And then in golf, and I'll, actually I'll say, I never played competitive golf like the, at the same level as you guys. I played that one year, but I played competitively in hockey. And that was my like, main competition. And to expand on your point, Kevin, it's like when you're playing as a team and you're winning as a team, the the feeling of everything working together mm -hmm. is somehow more, it feels like you accomplish more because everyone's playing their role. Everyone's doing, you know, contributing to this like common goal as a group, right? And I feel like even that's a human condition, you know, mm -hmm. the uh, thing as well. It's like when you're working towards something together, yeah. You feel like you're accomplishing something bigger, I feel like, rather than just the individual accomplishment, right? Because if you hear a championship team in basketball or hockey, they never talk about, oh, I scored 10 goals. They talk about, we won, we won the cup together, you know? And, and that's like way more meaningful. And I, I just feel like that, you know, when you take it to golf, it's, um, it's, it's the same feeling because like it's, it's, it's a human condition. And, um, and then talking about the quest of the crown, hopefully we get that same type of feel, right? Yeah. That, you're working toward this one thing across the whole year. And by the way, not only is it, you know, uh, a team event, but it's everywhere in the country and in the world. So right. it's just, uh, it's, a, it's a little, it's a different take on team golf for sure, because it's actually creating both worlds. You're playing by yourself, but also contributing <laughs> to a team. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's like very, now th that is true of like high school matches where, you know, you're taking the best four out of five or six scores. And, but this is this is very different where that that round counts you declared it you're going out and playing you're playing you might be playing by yourself you might be playing with other new club members you might play with non-new club members but it means something it counts for your team and the hope is that you get some satisfaction out of that 12 foot putt you hole on the last hole for sure because it means you know eight more points and it's also the nature of our club being everywhere you know yeah. we're we're obviously mm -hmm. in chicago and atlanta but we're also everywhere in every corner of the country so the, the thing I, I was thinking with team golf and the pickup side is like, I always, I've always loved pickup basketball. Always. There's like some purity to just showing up. And all you need is a pair of shoes. You don't even need a ball. Somebody else probably has the ball. If nobody brings a the ball, then you're in trouble. But hopefully somebody brings a ball. But all you needed was shoes, literally. And there was, you know, in the summertime, we placed shirts and skins and, 
and uh, in the wintertime, light and dark, and you just split up. You kind of tried to do it by ability a little bit, and then there'd be some guys that would try to get a little clicky and, and run the court and stay on as long as they could. And there, there were so few rules, hmm. but they were held strictly. And I think that's like, I think about that with golf. And I love tradition of golf. I love it. I'm, I'm like a pseudo historian now. I read books all the time. But there's so many damn rules that prevent just showing up and playing, right? And it's like, I mean, I think the one obvious thing is you don't need a handicap to play pickup basketball, right? Mm-hmm. If we're going to have an equitable game in golf, you got to have handicap. So it starts there, right? There's more math involved but if we all have handicaps and you just show up on that first tee and you say all right 12 of us are going out be there at 10 o'clock first tee times 10 30 we're going to play six for six. First two guys off are scratch singles matches next two guys off are going to be in a four ball match against these two guys handicaps uh the last match is going to be chapman you know stableford and or not Stableford, but just like chapman uh, alternate shot and I've always wanted that to occur. I think we, we try that with our vice captain's matches a little bit. Mm. But it's the purest form of competition. And, and it really isn't. People like say, oh, well, what are you playing for? What the hell are you playing for in a pickup basketball game? I think growing up on a playground as a kid, right? Like not even adult pickup basketball, but as a kid, were you ever playing for anything? Were you ever like laying dollar bills? I mean, at least where I grew up, that was never a thing. If it was soccer, if it was basketball, whatever. Yeah. And I think there's like something to the authenticity of even the team selection that occurs. That's already creating some sort of companionship and ownership as a team. Because you can even get that friction of like, oh, he chose him, but not him. So now like you get those rival, like mini rivalry, just daily rivalry dynamics going on. Like that becomes a big piece. Then the people that run the court, all of a sudden it's like, we need to knock those little mofos <laughs> off the court, right? Like that creates a, a dynamic that you can't do. To your point, as an individual, you can't replicate that. Right. But if it's like, oh, Matt's been running court with Scott Ford, marked its team up. We're gonna we're gonna take them down. Like Which there's something to that we've done before. And thanks for calling out my epic losses <laughs> after the last six in a row to Scott Ford. The handicap committee is looking into it. But uh, the the element of pickup basketball, and I think this is where you have to ask yourself, well, what is different? Why, why is it golf never gotten to a, a team element? I think it requires a lot more patience, obviously. In, in basketball, the games are going to be you know, 15, 30 minutes to play to 11, right? And, um, and it changes over quicker and there's matchups that change quicker. And, and golf, it's still, you know, you're the only one hitting that ball. You're not waiting for a pass. You're not waiting for a pick. You are solely responsible for the outcome of that particular shot. So that's the biggest court difference. And, and I think uh, over time, it, you just have to be more patient for the same payoff, right? Because like what you said about that camaraderie off the get-go with the selection, like, yeah, I really want to beat Scott Ford now. Like, I hope he doesn't pick me on his team because I want to beat Scott Ford. Like, that is in my head now, and it's fun. It's fun for me to rise to that occasion because – He's a really good match play player, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so it's it's just, it's not as immediate. Like we were talking about the dopamine and how you get immediate reactions earlier this morning at breakfast. And it, you have to wait for it in mm-hmm. golf. And my reaction to that too is I would say, you know, in golf, it obviously is is cultural as well. It's mm-hmm. start It started out and always has been an individual sport, particularly in America. And thus we perceived it as, a, as, as an individual sport. <clears throat> so what it's gonna require is one, creativity, right? Things, doing new things, coming up with new formats, new team ways to play together as a team. And then two, commitment to doing that. So you have a consistent you know, effort of there's always a team thing going on. And so you've had those two things and you keep that going. Well, now golf can become kind of a team sport at, at some point. Yeah, it, it's going to the culture of it. Go ahead. I, I wanna want ask you two, like, Building off that, this culture idea, right? A lot of what we're talking about, we're ignoring the context that it's unique, not somewhat uniquely American, including our individualistic, capitalistic driven society. And that's not a criticism of it. That's more of just a statement of how it is. And sure. American golf embodies that. We could definitely have a separate episode on is that a good or bad thing? But you all, like, definitely, as you know, use your quote, Matt, pseudo historians, 
as well as like builders of a new club and trying to embody that after the Scottish game, which has different cultural roots, including different aspects of team game. Like, what have you all learned from that and tried to do with new club to embody that and like, you know, be disruptors or whatever within the American golf scene? Like, how does that play a role in this team versus individual um, situation? It, it, it was always, and this, I, I'll link it to the cultural point that Mark was was trying to make, but I think one of the first things that stuck with me when I was in Ireland at 20 years old and, and playing in those club matches was nobody mentioned their score. Nobody asked me what I shot. I, I knew what I shot. I, I wanted to hold out all my putts. I'm an American, you know, I'm a, I, I have to have a benchmark. I have to have a grade, you know, and they don't do that. They don't give a shit what you shot. They're not going to ask you what you shot. They don't know what the wind was. They don't know what the rain was. They don't know what format you were playing. They don't know who your partner was. What they want to know is what was the game? What was your match? How was your match? We went out and we did alternate shot against Bill and Bob. Bill and Bob won the first three holes with birdie birdie net par. And we came back on them by the ninth hole. And we we stopped them on the back four and six. And we ended up closing them out on 16. And like, that's such a more compelling story than, oh, I shot 77, but I hit two balls out of bounds. Man, I don't want to, I can't believe I hit two balls out of bounds. That's so bogus. Like it's selfish, you know, they're, they're just not, they, they have a more, and, and you're right about, you, know, you can get into a societal breakdown on capitalist societies versus, well, they are as well, but not to the degree. I mean, think about, think about our other sports in America, right? Football, baseball, we have stars, even basketball. You, you, you want the star factor. Soccer, that's their number one sport, right? Soccer is, is much more of a beautiful team game that requires the understanding of what each of these players are contributing, right? It's not as obvious that this guy sh threw a shutout or this guy ran for 200 yards or this guy, you know, threw for 300. It, it, I, think, I think that's part of the culture, right? Is growing up with those different team sports in a way. Um, and then and just golf for them, it, the roots of it. And the last thing I'll say on just kind of like the background, what I took away was the roots of it started with these, they played four ball, or I'm sorry, foursomes, alternate shot, way more than they played four ball, way more. And some clubs still do that. We were at Muirfield. The member, we talked to a member at Muirfield, their own ball, like, no. He played once a week at the same time, every single, what was it, Friday, every single Friday morning. And it was usually him and a buddy playing alternate shot and they would play two other members. And it's like, so that's a distinct cultural difference. They, they grew up with it. And not, <clears throat> for me, I would add, you know, it's probably a little bit less from the, uh, from the Scottish history, but it's, it's more about just what is, what is more enjoyable to play this thing that we all love to play. And it's, it, it's, it's about like just to hang and it's about like the, what's compelling to talk about. So, you know, Matt brought up like, well, I hit two balls in the water as an individual like mm -hmm. right i think about that in myself like no one cares that i hit a ball in the woods but they will care and it is more compelling conversation if we're talking about the team played together and we had this amazing thing that happened as a team and everyone can sort of bond with this exper shared experience right remember when i hit two balls in the water and you guys went one up exactly yeah. exactly but if it, i'm yeah. just playing by myself nobody really cares that i lost a golf ball yeah and that's the, no one and cares what there. you shot yeah. like that's not a fun conversation to have i mean sure it's a fact but you know that that's where it really is is, is great is when because at the end of the day we're all playing this for fun yeah. None of us are trying to be PGA Tour pros or doing this for a living. We're doing it because we choose to do it because we enjoy it. Yeah. And so we might as well do as many things as possible to enhance that enjoyment. It's funny you brought up Murfield too. When we were going over there, me and uh, Patrick McSpadden, um, fellow new club guy, we had the benefit of uh, this was pre-COVID and then we got shut down ultimately. But um, it was funny because the member that was going to host us, he's like, hey, I'll take you out on Monday. Course is closed. You'll probably be the only two people out on the course. Um, you can play your own ball. He said it in that way. And I responded back, like, well, we want to follow your club's traditions and like, we're happy to play foursomes. He's like, no, I know how you Americans want to play and you want to play. Like, he just said it and probably with a little bit of snide in his comment too, you know, like you Americans, this is how you want to do it. And it's like, yeah, I think that was a very in, in the face sort of, acknowledgement to how the game is seen differently across those two cultures. Yeah, we're, we're just so much more individualistic, aren't we? I mean, it's just, 
and, and selfish, just flat out. Like we are, our culture is so much more selfish in, in a lot of ways. Well, what's the common response to foursomes often? The, yeah, so like. And to, before people have played it, what's the, what do you all see as like the most common response to foursomes if they haven't played it before? So we, we tried this last year with some vice captains matches and we'd have, we didn't even go full foursomes old shot. We went Chapman, which is you both hit tee shots. You play your partners where his ball ended up and he plays where your ball ended up. And then you alternate shot in from there. The best, take, take the best one, you know, and, and play into the hole. Um, huge pushback, always pushback. Most of the time it comes down to, I paid for a full round. I'm going to get my full round. And so I think about that and I, I can't object that, right? You, you, you got to get your value. If you see playing more golf shots out here as the value that you pay for whatever, hundred bucks to, to play this round, you can't, I, I'm not going to argue on that. What I would like to see happen, and I don't know if this exists in the UK, this will be cool to, to do some digging and look up. But if we ever own a facility, I would love to see it roll be, uh, there is an alternate shot rate. You, you and me are, okay, okay you're going to play your own ball. Who's playing their own ball in the group? hundred bucks. Who's playing alternate shot? 50 bucks, 55, maybe. I don't know. Some, maybe it's, maybe it's slight, but no, I don't even want to de-incentivize it. Like each guy plays 50, but you better, we're going to, we got a ranger out there. Like you better be playing your own ball. And then there are going to be some bad apples that would probably screw that up. Not within new club by any means, but you know what I mean? Like somebody would try to cheat the system. But how cool would that be? Like, because that's the problem. It, the yeah. the cart fees, the, the the green fee. That's it's part of the system of making money, which isn't inherently wrong, but it is taking away from people's enjoyment because it's blocking them from the bigger picture, which is that's just more fun than obsessing over your own score yeah, most I, of the time. I'm not saying idea. all the time. I, I love that. I idea. would say you could structure on. If we go to, like if we want to move into the capitalistic side and think about revenue, because that is important ultimately, especially what golf clubs often cost to maintain in, in the United States, you could probably get out more t if you did an alternate shot block. So not like you have a choice, but from eight o'clock to ten o'clock, it's alternate shot tee times. You can compress those more because the rounds are quicker, exactly. right? Like, I mean, how quick did we play at Murfield? Two hours and <laughs> ten minutes, and we took exactly. our time on the backside, like. Like, so you, you can run more people through. So actually on the revenue side, you might suffer a loss, but it wouldn't be, if you did 150, you wouldn't be losing half your money because you'd probably make it up in more tee times and quicker pace of play. And then talk about a benefit of more people want to play because they're on the golf course shorter period of time, which is typically one of the main things that people don't want to do is spend the four hours at the place. But if you're playing all shot and you're only there, you're still playing 18 holes, but you're there for half the time. Yeah. yeah and, and now it's more accessible for you to even play from just your time standpoint. Yeah. Time it's, and costs. Yeah. Exactly. It's a fun one to think out because at first, I, when you said that, I was like, oh, you have to have a block of all shot times. And then there would be you know, four ball times or just individual ball times. But you, you really could keep it all the same. I mean, I like the incentive of if it's just two and two playing all shot, you'll get done in two hours and 30 minutes or three hours. Um, however, you could just pair them up and there could be eight guys in one group mm. on your first tee time of the day. Mm -hmm. And they are going to play in four hours because they're still playing often shot. Mm -hmm. And how fun is it? And we do this at, I mean, Kevin, you're a founding member at Sweden's Cove. Like what's the, what's the regular, when you go to a regular member day at Sweden's, what's the average number of people in your group? <laughs> the average number? <laughs> yeah. I mean, probably six to eight at a minimum is probably an average number. I mean, it's not surprising if by the end of the day it ebb and flows people come in people come out you can get 10 12 14 you know and i mean if it's evening we'll have 12 people we'll have 12 people playing to be fair their own ball and we'll still play nine holes in 55 minutes 50 minutes um and i love questioning just standards that we just uh, say that are immutable but they're not like well, who says that a foursome is how you should play golf mm -hmm. like, where did that who, who came up with that and why we why do we stick with that yeah, we, we, I who's holding that rule? Yeah, I wonder. I don't even know where that rule. Came. I mean, other than the history of the game and styles that were played, I wonder like why that's entrenched as a club rule. That's a makes sense. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, clubs have more flexibility, and that's what's so cool about what happens at Sweden's Cove is they've challenged those um, those norms in their own ecosystem to test it out and see what works and do day passes. And so, like, I mean, it, there is a predictability of the foursomes that probably is ingrained in and the revenue side of it required, but. Maybe the, the only one science thing that I'll put, like what if you go back in time 
and you change four sums to five sums, yeah. what would happen in the history of golf? Now, everyone plays a little bit faster, maybe, or, you know. That's a good question. What would yeah, the style yeah. of games, yeah. like the most popular styles of games, what would they be right exactly. now? Exactly. Uh, uh. God, butterfly effect. Right, exactly. <laughs> Get back. Uh, <laughs> if we could just hit that reset button, just to see. As an, like you said, exactly. it's an experiment. Just, yeah, what just happens? experiment, yeah. We, we talked a lot about alt shots. So I don't want to, like, just focus on the format for Team Golf. Um, well, before I move on from format, uh, four ball, Kevin, I've heard you in other avenues and, and you've waxed poetically about four ball being the, I don't know what you call it, the perfect format, the best format. Uh, tell us why you believe that. You know, like I was especially on that, I think for the new club blog, I even in 2018 or whatever, I might've read a post and I might contradict myself now. The opinions changed. I'm still, I think I'm a firm believer Side of that. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm a firm believer. I think that's still the best format, uh, but I, I acknowledge explicitly now, like, I think the own ball aspect of it, I mean, I love, foursomes might be the most enjoyable, like me and you at Castle Stewart that day oh, when man. we played, like, Shout that's the Brian most, Engstrom. yeah, Brian, I, we played his own ball, right, versus our um, <laughs> alt shot ball. Um, I think there's something in a team event where you still have your own ball in the sense of you're not only reacting to your opponent, but also reacting to your teammate, right? So you and your teammate have your own strategy that's also then against your opponent's strategy, which is a paired strategy itself. So all that dynamic move to it, uh, movement to it, the strategy, I think, is just makes it such a rich ground where every hole, the match play format of it, is its own little battle, right? And there's so many ups and downs in that battle within a hole because all four balls are in play and every every ball dictates what the next balls are going to do. Now, I know some of the strategists out there might say that shouldn't be the case, but including myself, maybe if I was coaching like a Ryder Cup team, but when you're just playing for fun in four ball, no, change your strategy, have fun with it, right? Like yeah. they dumped in the water, play safe, or man, they stopped at the three feet, try to put it into two feet. There's room inside that ball. There's something to that of always reading, reacting with you and your teammate and the opponents. I, I will have to say regarding our match, uh, because we played all shot, I put uh, the professor here in spots at Castle Stewart he would have <laughs> never otherwise seen. <laughs> I always remember when we both screwed each other over multiple times on the par five, coming back on the front, maybe a whole six or something like that. And Ekstrom made a seven and we lost the hole. <laughs> <laughs> when we were 50 yards out in two. Yeah, that, that, was because, uh, that was because you had a great drive, and I bladed it over the green, put you in the bunker, actually on the, on the edge of the bunker, and made you balance on the side of the bunker uh, edge, which unfortunately, it was impossible for Didn't me. work, and then I put you in a worse spot than you put me. The cardinal <laughs> sin in team golf, like, never make it worse, right? Like, if he puts you in a worse spot, yeah, just make it better. Make but it better but the exciting thing was, is I was in such a horrible spot in the bunker, I was able to get it out and give us a chance for a seven-footer for a six to have the hole, <laughs> which we missed, of course. Yeah, we missed it. The, the uh, I mean, it's back to four ball, it's like, that's, I don't think many people look at it the way that you described and, and having a strategy to it, reading what your teammate is doing. Is Kevin on the green? All right, let's maybe go with this corner pocket pin. Let's see what happens. Um, and that's interesting. The stats side of your mind might disagree with your, yourself, your romantic side. Uh, but I, I, I think it's an easier sell for ball to get people to play team golf that way because you're playing your own ball. I, I've, I've heard too, like, yes, what the, the pushback is on a shot. Well, I don't want to stand on the tee and not hit a shot. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I just, I'm there. Let me, let me hit a shot. And I, I can appreciate that, even though I think it's like test yourself, see, see what enjoyment you get out of, of foursomes. But, yeah. but on four ball, you do that. And, and then you still have that pure team element where uh, every single hole, you both are attempting to contribute. You're, there's a, there is a strategy there. And I, and I think a lot of people maybe just go out and four ball like, if I can shoot 78 today, you know, or if I can shoot 74 today. And I would challenge, and that's why we always have like, you know, our rules in effect of max net double bogeys is, Get yourself, if you're playing a four ball match, try to get yourself out of the whole score mentality and just think about, I got to contribute this hole. That's, this is my hole. I'm mm -hmm. getting a stroke. I'm getting a pop. Let's put ourselves in a good place off the tee. Let's put it on the green. And then you start to shoot better scores. Mm -hmm. And that's what I've also seen is like people that do make that leap 
to a true team golfer and they think about it that way, their scores start to improve. And then what happens when your scores improve? You care about your score again and they lose it. And I'm, I'm in this category. I've definitely done that where it's like I've gotten into this very present place on the golf course because of team golf. Like I have to have a match. I can't play without a match anymore. And one of the things is probably my scattered brain. I just want to something to focus on in that moment that is, has a little bit of competition that I can read the situation and, and go and my scores get better. But then when you see a bunch of scores that are getting better, you're like, oh, I start to care about my score. I start to care about my handicap again. And, and it's like, it ruins it. And then I got to do the whole cycle again and be like, all right, just get back to that present moment. And then what, what Kevin just talked about with gambling, it then then the losses hurt more. Is, is as soon as you care about your own score more than when you fail, which you often do, it hurt, just hurts more. Yeah. And then it's less fun overall. That, yeah, let's talk about that with team <clears throat> team sports, team golf. The, the loss is... Uh, maybe more manageable where you don't like get depressed and not want to play for two weeks. Right. Cause you stink, you know, like if you, if you lose, you know, two down and you shot a bazillion, well, you just lost two down, like go out tomorrow and play the next match. And it's a little bit different than the ego. I think we haven't, you can't no. mention this conversation without mentioning the ego. Like that's the, I think that's the number one, you know, ego is the enemy. It's like, it prevents us from happiness, it prevents us from uh, humility, it prevents us from enjoying ourselves. I mean, maybe I'll switch my tune right now. And I think there's an argument there for both this ego side, gratification side, all that. For maybe I should say foursomes is the superior format in the sense of what you mentioned on the first tee, like, well, I'm on the tee box, I wanna hit a shot. Train yourself to fight that response, right? To be content with not hitting the shot. I mean, it's a it, this is a real factor in our world now in terms of what we've seen on the brain science side with phones and everything of like dopamine, we need to hit. Dopamine, now we need to hit, right? And like, actually, you need to train yourself against that. Foursomes is a perfect proving ground to do that in a way that would translate into your everyday life, right? Mm -hmm. Like train yourself like to be there, to be composed, to be content with not hitting that tee shot, I think would probably translate to real life more often. Um, in yeah. real life, one, one thing I was thinking about with this conversation, Mark, and, and you being on today, uh, a band. So we're going to get your band life at some point. And if we have the techno, maybe our producer can pull up a picture of long-haired Mark. You just have to do a search. You probably can find it. Really? Is it on the internet? Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Go yeah. ahead. Search Mark Caldwell. What, what would be the word you'd add to Mark Caldwell for... Your long hair. Uh, you probably have to call out one of my band names, uh, North Pilot or North, the Giveaway. North Pilot. Where'd that name come from? Uh, we poured over it and we all kind of hated it, but we just went with it. We lived on North Avenue in Chicago and we arrived at Pilot being a really cool word and wanted to incorporate it in some way. So, <laughs> North Pilot. <laughs> North Pilot. All right. I'll buy that. Yeah. But I, I, I your band, you know, you, we were part of all these bands. What about being in a band is, because it's team, it's a team aspect. You're playing, but everyone's playing their individual instrument. Everyone has to perfect their individual instrument and then it comes together. Is it is it similar to what we're talking about? Oh, it 100% is. Because when you play a show and the way that, uh, you know, when you're, when you're playing a band, you want your band to be as tight as possible. That's the word, right? So then... When you're when you're all in sync, you all know your stuff. You're playing. Everyone's playing at their peak or whatever. You know, everyone makes mistakes, obviously, on stage. But you know, when you have that those shows, that it just boom, it comes together. The everything's smooth. The song sounds great. Um, everyone is again performing at their best. It's the same exact feeling because you can tell the fans, uh, the people that are watching you, enjoy it more. You on stage get more amped to just do it. It's the same thing as like watching your teammate sink a putt or watching your teammate score on the ice and winning together in overtime or something. It's the, it's the exact same feeling, 100%. Yeah. Except with long hair and a vest and skinny jeans. <laughs> in a fan club. Well, you're, you're trying to change the fashion of golf too. You're, 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 maybe bring some of that, that rock and roll to the game. Uh, yeah, the other thing with the team element, um, the hang afterwards is... Oh, yeah. A bit. We, we already talked a little bit about telling the stories and recapping a, a, a match or a game versus recapping your round is far more of interest. But uh, I think I think it's I think about the losses I've had, you know, in, in a team four ball. We'll just say four. We played our own ball 
And, and afterwards, like, there's a, there's a humility to it. There's a, you know, no, no one's going to sit there unless it's like your really best buddy and you're just giving them shit for shooting 90 you know, million, whatever their, their top number is that, that does happen. Sure. On like a score level, but that kind of hurts their feelings too, in a way. Mm-hmm. But I think about the, the match and how much like my opponents will rag on me. And like, you guys brought up Brian Ekstrom. He comes to mind. Him and I have been terrible partners. We, we like each other too much. I think we actually have too much fun. Maybe perhaps uh, I like Brian. He might not like me. I'm not sure. Um, but the, 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 the post round, like even in defeat is more enjoyable for me because I can laugh at myself as a team. If I laugh at myself as a individual, I kind of start to lose my confidence and hurt. Mm-hmm. It hurts, right? It's yeah. like, oh, you stink. And then, and then it spirals and then your game gets worse. And then you, cause we all know golf requires so much positive self-talk to be any damn good at all. And in a match component, I just don't feel that way after a round. I feel like, hey, we lost that match. There's some, I can remember some good shots in a match. Much harder to do on an individual score. But there was definitely some bad shots. And we laugh about it because you got a partner that's telling you there, like, hey, man, you know, thanks for putting me behind that bunker. And there, I think there's something to the psychology there. Because, yeah, positive self-talk is critical, right? We know that. So on an individual level... Yeah, if you if you play a bad round, it's an individual competition. It's no good to sit there and beat yourself up. Like you need to talk yourself up, get back at it. Right? We know that, and that's kind of proven in the science of what you should do. That's, but I think there's probably something in the team aspect that creates this abstractness to it, because it's about the team. So it's not about you. So the ribbing that happens afterwards, the needling, the, the jostling afterwards, where your team lost and they're they're giving you sit around, they give you a hard time, and you're giving the hard time back. It's always about the abstractness of team, so it separates that from the individual. Yeah, you're, you have that layer where and you I, can't do that in the in an individual competition. Because if I if I win, let's say the three of us play, and it's all individual, and, and I needle both of you, I'm just being an asshole. That's all <laughs> I'm doing, right? Like Matt, ha, that shot you hit in the water, yeah, be, you know, yeah. Mark, that thing you did there, yeah, that's why I won. Uh-huh, like, right. but if it's a team thing, like, oh yeah, that that four ball match over there when you all had that putt the win and you three putted, like that creates that abstract layer from it. It's yeah. a, it's a subtle but a tremendous difference <clears throat> because when you have a shared experience of losing, and after it's particularly in golf, it it, it goes from a negative to a positive, right? Because it binds you exactly. So if you yeah, lose as a team yeah. and you have that fun hang afterward of talking about the loss, well, now, you, again, you, you flipped it from what normally would be a negative that you lost into a positive. If that was a shared experience that we did together and now we can talk about it, it's fun. It could even be in like, a let's say, a college competition or whatever, a negative, not even a fun experience afterwards, a negative experience. But it's still, if it's bonding, it's still contributing to exactly. you improving, right? It's still exactly. contributing to something, even if it's like. You're in there and someone's crying or frustrated, punching the wall. If you're doing that together, that's going to be productive. The, um, exactly. The, uh, this was an eye-opener for me as I played with uh, Dr. Joe Parent, who is uh, Zen Golf and you know, has worked with number, world number ones, Christy Kerr, BJ Singh, all these incredible golfers. And he jotted down some of my self-talk when we played together, right? He was just listening, observing, and... A couple of them, not a lot of them, but a couple of them, he's like, would you ever say this to another person? And I looked at it, I was like, absolutely not. Like, what? That's that's mean. That's rude. Why would anyone say that to another person? He goes, you say it to yourself. You say it to yourself. And I think that's something that happens in team golf, too, is if me and you are playing four ball, Mark, and I and, and I, like you, you screw up. I would never say what I would say to myself, right? Like you idiot. Yeah. You know, you jerk. Nice shot, you moron. Wow, you stink. I would never say it to another person. And I think what happens in this team golf world is that because I would never say it to you in that round as, a, as another person, because I respect you, and I, I also stop saying it to myself. Yeah. And further, it flips because now instead of saying something negative, you want to say something positive. You have a bad hole. What are you going to tell your teammate? You, you got it next hole. You yeah, got yeah. This. You're going to pick them up. Yeah. Exactly. You're going to pick them up for sure. The last kind of team golf, um, the pros. We got to talk about Live Golf, PGA Tour. Like, I, I love what's happened with Live Golf, maybe solely because of the format. I, I, I'm obviously a believer in team golf on every level. And 
you know, look at the PGA Junior Series, right, for junior kids. That's a smashing success. The PGA, I, I saw the PGA show, they had a ton of data supporting why this team golf element is working for kids. It should definitely continue past high school and college. Like, there just should be. But the team golf, and I'll, I'll, approach, I'll approach it this way, because I got a lot of heat for putting out a, a, a tweet. I'm, I'm following the professor's lead with Twitter. I'm just asking questions that are bubbling around in my silly little brain. Um, but I, I put out the question of, would a live golf docuseries similar to Full Swing be more interesting? And everyone like, you know, I think most people know who runs live golf. It's the Saudi league. It's all these things. So people kind of shit on it, the question and everyone for the most part said no. But what I was getting at was the drama of a team, the, um, and we're both drive to survive fans. Mark, I don't know if you dove, dove into formula one show, but that got us hooked in COVID that is really compelling television. It's really compelling, um, because of the, all the team dynamics and they got a team leader and a principal and they got these personalities that have to mesh to work kind of together, but also against. And so that's what I'm very bullish on is team golf does work. Yeah. But what is, well, I'll just throw it to you guys. What are your thoughts on professional team golf? Yeah. Uh, so first of all, what I think, uh, I, I, when it comes to live golf and PGA tour, the first thing you have to cast aside, I think is like the politics behind it. I mean, that is a whole discussion in itself and just muddies up this conversation. The more relevant conversation to your point is the format is like, what is more fun? What would be compelling TV, compelling entertainment is, which is why we watch golf. And um, so when you, once you cast that aside and it becomes the conversation around the context of that, I think of um, other sports of like, why are other sports compelling to watch? For example, college football, hockey, basketball, all these things. One of the primary reasons is for college, uh, college football, for example, or college basketball is what is, what do Ohio state fans get amped up for every year? Recruiting season? <laughs> the Michigan game. The Michigan, the Michigan game. game. The yeah. Ohio State Michigan game. It's yeah. because of that rivalry. It's so strong. Yeah. We all love it. In, in, in every conference, in yeah. every, you know, every team has the rival. In hockey, it's the same thing. When you're playing a rival, when the Red Wings play the Blackhawks, it's a more fun game to watch, mm -hmm. right? Because of that. Mm -hmm. And golf just lacks that entirely, mm -hmm. right? And I think F1 now has that, right? They, they, they have a very team environment. Exactly. Yeah. And so, you know, that's the conversation. How do you get creative in golf? to insert some of that, um, that sort of element. And it's not necessarily like, you know, make Tony Finau rivals against, you know, Xander Shoffley. It's that, that's not it, but it's, it's something creative has, has got to happen in there. Something has to occur. Yeah. But I think there's a, to the point, your point on rivalries and think about F1, there's a permanence when it's a team. So players come in and out of that team, right? Like, so there's a permanence to, as a fan, being a fan, have fan, fandom for, that team. Right. So you, you do have fandom for players that come into that. Maybe they, LeBron, a great example, you know, a huge Cavs fan, uh, Matt and I both. Also, I'm a huge LeBron fan, the basketball player. So when he went to the Heat, I was still rooting for him. I didn't like how he did it necessarily, but like, but the point there is my fandom from the Cavs didn't go anywhere. That exactly. was still there, right? So like Ohio State, Michigan, college football. Yeah, huge fan of Brock Bowers, but guess what? He's going to go to the pros next year it's not going to change my fandom of george at all so there's a that creates a permanence when you have a team that take the pga tour well let's say you're a huge tiger fan well when he's done there's no permanence to that fandom it's right. gone like what do you do with that is there another player you can replace that with probably not because tiger is so transcendent there's going to be no one else you can put in his shoes and then to give a little credit of like you know creating these teams that we all make fun of their names of the teams but that is trying to accomplish at least that so that's a creative idea yeah, yeah, you, get, you can't fault them for like trying something new. You can fault them for doing terrible uh, human rights violations, sure. Oh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> but that's the political side. Yeah, like, that's, that's, we point, cast that aside. Yeah, li live and PIF is nothing to applaud. Let's be very clear right. about that. Like, for sure. Yeah. Live as a whole entity, in my opinion, is nothing to applaud. But to your point, yeah. when we think about golf as a product, the team aspect and what they're doing, like, yeah, applaud that applaud the team structure and then trying that because if we can make that work, that's gonna exactly. that's gonna transform the golf product on the professional golf, and, which is an entertainment thing. Like And that gets it's to it's an entertainment product. And I think that gets to exactly. where culturally, I'm gonna try to tie this all back together. Culturally, because we grew up idolizing Tiger Woods, I had that ninety seven poster hanging above my bed. It was the individual and my success as a golfer 
was always tied up with my individual success, my individual performance. And that's a very lonely place for the majority of golfers. We're not all gonna be Tiger Woods. We're not all gonna be successful at this game. It's really freaking hard. And so I think if a kid grows up with, and I'm not gonna say lip, because I hope to God PJ Tour brings some team element, but if they grow up with not the four aces, but like a cool team name (laughs) up above their bed, Will we break down this cultural selfishness and start to imply that being a part of something is more important than the individual and a more healthy version of golf? And we go out there and we support each other and we play team formats and we do all this because it's just more fun. And, And that's the PGA Junior Series, right? That's what they're trying to get off the ground. But we need pro golf to also support that, I think. And and by the way, for the average fan like my wife isn't gonna really be following you know number 125 on the pga tour money list and are they in are they out i do i'm a sicko i want to know that stuff but she would definitely be able to get behind a team whether it's geographically you know we live in ohio who's our ohio team who's our chicago team we got a root for chicago we live in chicago we do that with other sports we'll do that with the blackhawks occasionally sorry to your red wings but it it's just like, I think it's right there in front of you. And it's so easy to say golf is an individual sport, but it, it doesn't have to be. And I, I truly, I, I will test my convictions on, on team golf for sure. I want to keep, that's what this conversation really is all about. But I think it's going to lead us to just a healthier, happier version of golf. Absolutely. And in fact, it, it encourages more people to get into the game too. I mean, how many times have you heard, I'm not going to play golf because I'm, I'm not good. I, I, there's no way I can play. Well, it's not. It, it, if you have a handicap, it doesn't matter if, yeah. what what it is. Yeah. If you play in a team, it doesn't matter what you you can pick up. Yeah. You just be a you know be yeah. a part of it. Yeah. Try right. the next hole. See if you can contribute. Yeah, that. Exactly. Right. And uh, the, but the but the barrier to entry, the thought is that oh, I have to be I have to reach a threshold of skill before I can even step on a golf course. Yeah, that's interesting. You think of all the other club sports. I don't mean club in terms of college, but just like community sports. Like if I was going to go play kickball or whatever. I would never begin to think about my skill level or ultimate frisbee as being a barrier to entry because I'm going to be part of a team <laughs> yeah. and like, like oh they're open like and if we could replicate that in golf, I think as a barrier entry to the game that would help reduce the barriers of entry. If some Absolutely. people saw it as like oh I'm going to enter in a team and they're going to accept me for where I'm at, I'm doing this to try to contribute to the team, but also have that. Let's be clear: the individual pursuit of improvement is key to every team sport. We're not saying get rid of that pursuit right. mm-hmm. or remove it, but that pursuit should occur in the context of something bigger, and that's healthier, right? We were tribal for a reason. Like we've evolved, like our brain has evolved to be tribal for a reason. Yeah. Um, so if we could do that. I bet that I bet we could reduce the barrier <clears throat> to entry to the game. And and I would say further, you know, when you bring kickball no one's going to judge you for uh being at whatever skill level you are i think that's actually a secret in golf particularly with our yeah. club with our club members yeah. is that I, I would be remiss to to name any new club member that would say they can't play with me because they're brand new and because they're a 20 handicap they can't play with me that, that that's not the case at all because in golf everyone is at a different level everyone's on their own journey and we yeah. all accept yeah. but, but if, if the benchmark is an individual score right. for yourself and you're inherently messaging to that person that they're really bad and you don't want to play with them because your yeah. mark, your mark of success is, is a number yeah. and not that outcome or the, or the, the match or what it might be. Um, well, we're getting close to time. Uh, mark, great to have you on. This might Thanks. be a regular occurrence. We might uh, chop it up more. Um, where can folks find you, Mark? <laughs> where can they find me? Uh, everywhere that you can find New Club, I guess. Yeah, he's the man behind a lot of, of the New Club operations and functions and uh, a hell of an individual. Thanks for joining us. Um, we'll, we'll definitely have you back. Well, Shout thanks. out to our friends at Golf Blueprint. Mark, are you going to be practicing leading up to the spring season? I, I do. I do want to start uh, practicing for sure. Um, yeah, absolutely. Golf Blueprint are our guys. So golfblueprint.com, uh, Nico Dar, Dr. Nico Daris, Dr. Kevin Moore here, one of the co-founders of Golf Blueprint. They're going to be at the spring meeting uh, April 30th, 29th and 30th, two days, Sweetens Cove. Man, talk about talk about team golf. We got a hell of a format. We got to drop that soon on everybody. But we got, I'm really pumped for this year's format. All team, all the time. <laughs> it's going to be 
uh, it's going to be rad. And I will say, by the way, on the on this side of the mic, um, having you two as co-hosts this season has been a lot great. I mean, uh, just a lot of fun to hear both of your takes on on everything. And um, so, thanks for doing it. And great job. Yeah, the professor brings. Uh, we 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 had to officially. You've been the producer for the show for a long time, but when we announced Kevin as co-host, I feel like we we had to let everyone know that there's. There's a magician back there, and his name is Mark Caldwell. Well, we're definitely going to make sure to get his your voice on this pod more often because you've got important things to say and uh, an important perspective on the game. So he truly does. He truly does. Well, thanks everybody. Have a great week. Hit him straight.